guys, my name's Elena, and welcome back to all of the above podcast. Today's going to be a solo session, so it's just going to be a little bit more of me, but uh, just know that we are missing Kat, and uh, just for reasons that she had a busy work schedule, and you know, and I've been busy with school, so we've just been trying to like, you know, stay afloat. Um, today, we're going to, or I'm going to go over part um, two of the Zodiac Killer, This one's going to be a little heavy on information, more so because I've provided more details. Um, The main source that I used was history.com, kind of like the last episode. This one, I'm going to be just kind of going over the rest of the victims and just how the story of events unfolded in the case of the Zodiac Killer. So let's get started. So we get back to September 27th, 1969, nine, in Lake Berryessa. So it says on a Saturday in late September, college students Brian Hartnell and Cecilia Shepard were relaxing along the shore of Lake Berryessa, some 30 miles north of Napa, California. A man appeared holding a gun and wearing a hooded costume with a white cross circle stitched over his chest explaining that he had escaped from a prison and needed money and a car to escape to Mexico. The stranger bound the wrists with pre-cut lengths of plastic clothesline. Without warning, he plunged a large knife into Brian's back six times. Ugh. I don't know about y'all, but stabbing is probably one of the things I can't really... I don't know. When it comes to, like, cases like this stabbing just kind of gets me I'm not sure so I guess I should have done a trigger warning before I started but trigger warning the events that are gonna unfold in this episode are pretty graphic so just keep that in mind um so he basically stabbed Brian or who the Zodiac killer is uh basically stabbed Brian in the back six times Then he stabbed Cecilia 10 times as she fought for her life. Uh, The man then walked to Brian's car, used a pen to draw a circle, a crossed circle on the door with the dates and locations of previous attacks. Uh, The date, September 27th, 69, and then the time, 6.30, and the notation, by knife. So around 7.40 p.m., a man called the Napa Police Department to report a double murder. The caller described Brian's car, directed police to the scene of the crime, and confessed. I'm the one who did it. Police traced the call to a payphone at a car wash in Napa. Cecilia died two days later, but Brian survived. Um, I was watching the Zodiac movie. I think it was like on Tuesday. And um, it's the one where Jake Gyllenhaal portrays like a... I think he's like the sketch artist for the SF Chronicle or something. And Paul Avery is... What's his name? Robert Downey. Well, um... I specifically stopped a little bit after this part, but um, you can just tell that they were, so how the movie sets the scene is like, they're kind of like, of course, at the lake, and it's kind of like an open field, and it's somewhat of a shaded area, so it has like big trees around it, and so the actor who plays um, Brian and the actress who plays Cecilia, they were laying, and Cecilia 
looks kind of like in the distance and she sees like a man approaching them and she warns Brian and she's like, Hey, you know, like there's someone here with us. And he's like, Oh, you know, he's probably just kind of relaxing too. You know, it is a lake. And so Cecilia, you know, I don't know. I guess she had a kind of like a hunch or something. She kept looking and she was like, no way. Like he disappeared and there was like a big tree by them. So I guess like what the Zodiac actor did was like, he was behind the tree, you know, he was hiding or for whatever reasons. And Cecilia was like, I can't see him anymore. And then as soon as he said that, she said that, um, the killer like came out from behind the tree and started approaching them. And, um, that's when she got scared and she was like, wait, he has a gun. And so, you know, they got alarmed and then all of, all of the attacks happened. But yeah, I thought, um, I thought that was a really, um, kind of like a good visual to how the events unfolded. I know I like to, to have like a visual behind it. So, uh, on October 11th, 1969 in San Francisco, uh, Paul Stein, a 28 year old student and husband, uh, worked as a cab driver in San Francisco. That night Stein picked up a fare headed to, for a destination in the upscale Presidio Heights neighborhood at the intersection of Washington and Sherry street. The passenger shot Stein in the head and removed a piece of the victim's shirt. <clears throat> the man walked away just before police arrived, but the police radio bar- broadcast mistakenly described the suspect as a black man and passing officers dismissed a white man resembling the correct description. Fingerprints found on the driver's side of the cab may have belonged to the killer and a sketch was produced based on the descriptions provided by witnesses. The case was considered a routine robbery until the office of the San Francisco Chronicle received an envelope with a letter from the Zodiac, which began with the words, I am the murderer of the taxi driver. The envelope also contained a blood-stained piece of Paul Stein's shirt. The Zodiac denied that he left fingerprints and claimed the police sketch was inaccurate because he had worn a disguise. Um, in the movie, they also kind of like show how like the detectives like wake up at like in the middle of the night and um, they rush to the scene and they basically, whenever... I think the the police who um, profiled the Zodiac incorrectly, they, or some of the ones that were patrolling that night looking for the Zodiac or for like the killer of the cab driver, um, they go into like the, the police, <laughs> the police department and um, they're there and they're like, yeah, like we, we saw this guy, white male, you know, but the description that was released to us, cops, you know, like in the radio, they said it was a black man. So of course we let him go, you know, because we, he didn't fit the description. But then the detectives were like, the detectives that were grilling the, the cops that were on patrol that night, they were like, but you didn't think to report this the day of the crime. And they were like, I mean, we didn't because we didn't get the update on the description till like minutes later. So then the detective's like, okay, again, why did you not like, why did you not report it? You know, like we were minutes away from catching the possible Zodiac. So I thought that was pretty interesting as well, that even just if it could have been minutes, not days, you know, maybe the Zodiac would have been caught and it was just, misunderstandings between the department you know so just any minute detail could have helped 
catch this uh, killer. Um, on October 13th, 1969, uh, this is a letter to the Chronicle. Uh, so the specific letter mocked police for failing to catch him, and it threatened to shoot children on school bus. This envelope contained the bloodstained shirt belonging to victim Paul Stein. November 8th, 1969, San Francisco Chronicle page letter. Uh, this contained a piece of Paul Stein's shirt, the cab driver. Uh, then it also had a humorous greeting card and another cipher consisting of 340 symbols. The writer added, Des, July, Aug, Sept, Oct, equals seven. Uh, so this is believed to be a possible reference to more unidentified victims. Uh, overall, I think they estimated, uh, let me see... It, I know it's over 35 victims, but I'm not sure at the top of my head like how many of those were confirmed. I will definitely keep looking. So um, at this point, he was just confident. You know, he hadn't been caught. He had literally just escaped police. He just looks like he had no end. To like his terror. So then on November 8th, 1969, San Francisco Chronicle page letter. Uh, so this specific letter contained another piece of Palmstein shirt. Oh, sorry. November 9th, 1969, seven page letter to the Chronicle. Uh, this was the longest message from the Zodiac and it claimed that police stopped him near a crime scene and let him go. Okay. Uh, so the Zodiac also included a bomb recipe and a diagram of the explosive. I think this may, I, I don't want to make the assumption, but um, this could be, again, kind of like how those two patrol officers were getting grilled by the detectives in the movie, and they were um, basically telling them, like, I mean, you should have, as a police officer, you should have reported this a lot sooner than three or four days ago. You, you know what I mean? Like, it, usually, statistically... Uh, the first 48 hours are the most significant in the in a crime. And after that, the chances of you finding anybody or, you know, further evidence in your, in your crime, like, it, it's slim, very slim. Uh, so December 20th, 1969, uh, the letter addressed to Melvin Belly. Uh, so the writer feared he would kill again and he asked Belly to intercede. The letter ended with, please help me. I cannot uh, remain in control for much longer. I'm sorry I keep referencing the movie, but I just want to provide like a better visual for you guys. So in the movie, um, it's Martin Melly, and I think he has like a co-host or uh, something like that. And there, the detectives are sitting in on that specific airing, you know, because they were going to air specifically to help the Zodiac. So it was kind of like a ch talk show, but the Zodiac called in, you know, ooh, he, I guess he needed like therapy or I don't know. And, um, and that specific night he calls and they're trying to keep him on to possibly ping like his location. And I mean, you know, it's like the 1960s or late sixties, like technology or forensic technology is not as advanced as it is today, of course. But, um, he, in the middle of the call, he gets like a blaring headache, I guess. And he claims, I think it's like 
the voices or something like that. So this leads to, how, how do I say it? This leads to possible, like, he might have more than, more than what the surface tells, I guess. He might have, like, actual psychological issues or disorders that he might be dealing with, you know. So in March 20, uh, March 22nd, 1970, uh, this is around the Modesto area. So at the time, um, this was just an alleged, uh, Zodiac, um, attempt, I think. Um, so on a Sunday in late March, uh, 22 year old Kathleen Johns packed her infant daughter into a station wagon and left San Bernardino, sorry, San Bernardino, California to visit her sick mother and Petaluma in the northern part of the state. Kathleen was also seven months pregnant with a child with a child of her longtime boyfriend. As she traveled on Highway 132 near Modesto, another vehicle pulled alongside the station wagon and the driver appeared to signal that Kathleen should pull over. On the side of the road, the driver explained that the back wheel of Kathleen's station wagon was loose, but he promised to fix the problem. Instead, he loosened the lug nuts and the wheel fell off as Kathleen tried to drive away. The man then offered to drive Kathleen to a gas station, but he climbed, but she climbed into his car and discovered he appeared to have other plans. She claimed he also made veal threats to harm their child, her child. Sorry. Eventually, Kathleen grabbed her daughter and jumped from the passenger from the car. A passing driver took Kathleen to a nearby station where she identified the stranger from a police sketch in the Zodiac. To the Zodiac. Months later, a Zodiac later mentioned a rather interesting ride with a woman and her baby. In April 20th, 1970, uh, this is a letter to the Chronicle. So this included a 13 symbol uh, cipher and a diagram of a bomb designed to kill children on a school bus. The Zodiac denied responsibility for a recent police station bombing that killed an officer. On April 28th, 1970, a greeting card to the Chronicle. So inside this card, the Zodiac demanded publication of the bomb threats and insisted that the people of the San Francisco Bay Area wear Zodiac buttons, featuring his chosen symbol, the crossed circle. I mean, I I just don't even know what to say. Um, clearly, they want to be idolized. They want it to be like, oh, Zodiac Day. Like, how do you expect us to idolize you for like the damage that you're doing to our community. So in uh, June 26, 1970, uh, another letter to the Chronicle contained a map of the San Francisco Bay Area with a cross circle on the peak of Mount Diablo and a code to locate the Zodiac's bomb. Um, the writer had claimed that he had killed again. So now it's July 24, 1970, a letter to the Chronicle, and the Zodiac complained that the people weren't wearing <laughs> the cross circle buttons. Oh, he's angry. <laughs> and he claimed that he was responsible for the failed abduction of pregnant mother Kathleen Johns on March 22, 1970. Uh, July 26, 1970, a letter to the Chronicle, and um, the Zodiac described torturing his victims and quoted that, quoted from the Gilbert and Sullivan musical, The Macad. Uh, the letter is also also explained that the Mount Diablo code concerned uh, geometric angles known as radians. You know how like in Trig they tell you to convert angles to radians and stuff like that. I think it's like using the unit circle or oh no there's like a specific formula. Never mind. So um, September 6, 1970 uh, so this was a Lake Tahoe disappearance. 
the postcard attributed to the Zodiac featured on an advertisement for a condominium project in Lake Tahoe, Nevada, with the phrases past Lake Tahoe areas and sought victim 12. Some interpreted the cryptic message as a clue to the disappearance of 25-year-old Donna Lass. In May 1970, Donna worked in San Francisco at Letterman General Hospital, located at the Presidio military base near uh, near the area where the uh, Zodiac Killer killed a cab driver. Uh, so then Donna moved northeast to South Lake Tahoe and found work as a nurse for the Sahara Hotel and Casino. On September 6, 1970, Donna vanished uh, sometime after the last entry in her work logbook at 1.50 a.m. Her car was later found abandoned near her apartment, according to some accounts. An unidentified man called Donna's employer and her landlord, claiming she had she had to leave town due to family emergency. Donna's family told authorities that there was no such emergency and the man was never identified. Investigators suspected Donna that had been abducted and killed, but her body was never found. Uh, so this appearance remained a mystery, and her name was added to the long list of possible Zodiac victims. I think I might go over her her disappearance. Um, hopefully they have some sort of, you know, and we can, like, go into depth about that. I, I think that would be pretty interesting, and it'll just provide more of a name for the victim rather than the killer, or alleged killer. So on October 5th, 1970, the post, the, or what could have been the Zodiac or is the Zodiac post, uh, postmarked a postcard, uh, it contained a message constructed with text clips from other sources, you know, kind of like the, the abduction letters, you know, how like you take like magazines and like you cut out a specific letters and, you know, create words with them. <laughs> so the words, the pace isn't any slower. In fact, it's just one big, and that's it. Or a clip from the comic strip Smidgens. On October 27, 1970, Halloween card was sent to the Chronicle reporter Paul Avery. Ooh, festive. Uh, the writer misspelled Avery's name as Averly, and a number 4-teen was interpreted as a possible reference to an unidentified 14th victim. March 13, 1971, the letter addressed to the Los Angeles Times. In it, the Zodiac suggested that he was responsible for the unsolved murder of Sherry Joe Bates. Uh, we covered that in episode one. Near Riverside City College on October 30th, 1966. And then on March 22nd, 1971, uh, a postcard to the Chronicle reporter Paul Avery. Uh, so again, once again, the writer or what could have been the Zodiac uh, misspelled Avery's name as Aver Averly or Averly. Uh, so the phrase saw it victim 12 as an interp interpreted as a reference to Donna Lass's disappearance in Lake Tahoe, Nevada. Um, August 1st, 1973 in Albany. Uh, so for this, the search for new leads in the Zodiac case led investigators across the U.S. to Albany, New York. So now he's not only based in California, he has traveled cross country to New York. Okay. Um, or the alleged Zodiac uh, you know, because sometimes there tends to be copycats. And I think in this case, there were some people trying to copycat, but some of them were discredited right away. Right away. So the office of the Albany Times Union newspaper received an envelope postcard, postmarked, sorry, August 1st, 1973, with a cross circle drawn in the corner in instead of a return address. The letter said, you are wrong. I am not dead or in the hospital. I am alive and well, and I am going to start killing again. 
Below is the name and location of my next victim. But you had better hurry because I'm going to kill her August 10th at 5 p.m. And the shift changed. When the shift changed. Albany is... I'm so sorry. Albany is a nice town. Below the message, uh, the writer also included three rows of symbols. So I guess just like another cipher. And according to an FBI report, um, crypto, cryptanalysis, uh, they deciphered the coded message and it read, Albany Medical Center. This is only the beginning. Investigators were unable to identify any murders that could explain the vague reference to the victim on August 10th. So uh, handwriting experts also got involved and they couldn't determine the if the new letter was prepared by the writer of the other Zodiac letters received. So uh, they said due to the lack of significant characteristics in the Albany message, but it is possibility the possibility cannot be eliminated based on the limited analysis that they had available at their disposal. So on January 29th, 1974, uh, this was a letter to the Chronicle and um, the writer alluded to a possible suicide in another quote from the Gilbert and Sullivan musical, uh, the Mikado, the notation ME-37. So ME-37 and then SFPD-0. He or they were keeping a possible box score so here the killer indicated 37 possible victims, whether they're, I'm assuming whether they're unidentified or identified and SFPD has a score of zero. So, you know, a very drastic lead, uh, on February 14th, 1974, uh, this was a postcard to the Chronicle. So the writer referred to the SLA or Symbionese Liberation Army, a group of militant urban guerrillas responsible for the abduction of newspaper Harris Patty Hearst. Uh, the message was signed, a friend. So, excuse me. Uh, May 8th, 1974, card to the Chronicle. This message was from a quote-unquote citizen. Complained about the glorification of violence in newspaper ads for the movie The Badlands about the killing spree of Richard Starkwater and his 14-year-old girlfriend. And then uh, lastly, on July 8, 1974, this was another letter to the Chronicle. And the writer complained the Chronicle columnist Count Marco Spinelli suffered from a serious psychological disorder and should be sent back in the hellhole. Oh, okay. So we're talking about psychological disorders. Okay. Uh, so this letter was signed The Red Phantom. Uh, here he hinted at another possible name. Uh, I don't think it was a widely adopted. I don't know if they ever considered maybe it being someone else rather than the Zodiac. So I'm not sure. Um, the reason I'm not going through the letters, it's because I had such a hard time reading them last time, but they are on, they will be posted onto our Instagram. Um, it's AOTA pod. On Instagram and so what I usually do is for every episode I try to kind of like provide visuals for you guys so you can kind of like see or look at kind of what I'm referencing and I've I'll label them too I'll provide labels but yeah um I just wanted to finish this episode and I know it's a short one but I just wanted to provide um further information on like I guess like the victims that he had or they had and um I think for episode three the approach is going to be 
I kind of want to go into depth of how they think they have possibly identified him. And I could probably go into depth of some forensic techniques. I won't go like too crazy, you know, but just something that's easy to understand and easy to comprehend and, you know, I guess in layman terms. And um, yeah, so thank you for tuning in again. I apologize for the short episode, but usually Kat does the other half hour. We try to keep to an hour. So um, we miss Kat and hopefully next week she'll be back. And I'm pretty sure she's probably going to do another spiritual um, segment, but we'll see. Thank you guys. Y'all have a great afternoon.